Hi guys and welcome to the Fight Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always and a busy week this week. A really busy week this week. We were going to lead off with Lomachenko versus um, Jermaine Ortiz but we're not going to because um, I've been off sick this week and that's the bad thing but um, it did mean I get to watch the Japanese card that happened earlier today um, with the main event between Kenshiro Taraji and Hiroto Kiyoguchi. And I'm going to lead off with that because the performance from Kiyoguchi in the main event was just fantastic. It was brilliant. And I want to talk about that. So I'm going to lead off with that and then talk about a couple of the other fights on the card. Then I'm going to scooch over to Lomachenko versus Ortiz because that was a much, uh, it was a much better fight than expected, a much tougher fight for Lomachenko than expected. So I'm going to go into the reasons why. And then I'm going to talk about some of the fights on the undercard. There's no, you know, there's no great fights like, really superb back and forth but there was a lot of prospects um, a few fighters to watch in the future and I want to talk about some of them uh, and then I'll talk about um, like I say deep card uh, deep deep weekend this week um, lot going on um, I'll talk about William Zepeda and his dominant win over JJ Diaz I'm not going to go super into depth there but I'll talk about it some and that was a very impressive performance and um, and I'll finish off by talking about KG Taylor defending against um, Karen Karabahar her belts, her unified belts, um, that'll be a brief one. Um, I'm not going to go super in-depth on that, but, uh, but I will talk about it because Katie Taylor is, you know, top of the tree as far as it comes to women's boxing, and it's worth talking about. But yeah, let's start off with uh, what just happened. Kinshiro Taraji versus Toroto Kiyoguchi at Light Flyway for two belts, um, the WBC and the WBA. And um, yeah, I... I didn't expect that, put it lightly. Um, yeah, it was, it was supposed to be, and I mean, it was the uh, the top two fighters in the division, and it was supposed to be very evenly matched. Um, I had Kiyoguchi as the favourite, slightly. Um, basically, you know, some context here. Um, Taraji, Kenshiro Taraji lost um, a very unexpectedly last year in December to Masamichi Yabuki, um, which was a, I mean, that was a shock and a half. Uh, this was that was almost being considered. It wasn't quite a tune-up for this one, but it was almost like people. I don't know if um, if Kenshiro was looking past it, but um, you know, a lot of us were. Like, I'm going to include myself in that one. We were already going look Kiyoguchi and uh, Kenshiro have to fight, um, and it didn't happen. And there may have been COVID involved, and um, because um, it initially got postponed by a month because Kenshiro got COVID. And anyway, they rematched. Kenshiro won his belt back, but. Um, but you could see there were a few issues, even in the rematch. There were a few mistakes he was still making. That he's always kind of like done in terms of he makes he just makes a few errors, leaning in his hands down, all that kind of thing. And coming into the fight, my thought was Kiyoguchi makes less of those errors. He has a nice tight guard. He moves his head pretty well. He he shuffles. You know, he's, he comes forward nice and tight, uh, nice and patient behind his jab. And he, I just thought, you know. They're going to be in equal exchanges and Kiyoguchi is going to win more of them because he's just slightly more sound defensively. But I I mean, I don't particularly blame myself here, but I overlooked the footwork because, and I think he stepped it up. Um, Kenshiro stepped up the footwork massively. So there just wasn't any even exchanges. This is something, um, I'm going to explain that phrase because even exchanges is a phrase I've used a fair bit and I used it... Um, I used it in my previous for Lomachenko, um, so, so I should unpack it. For me, an even exchange is when the two fighters are toe-to-toe, 
exchanging on even terms um, where it's pretty much the defence, the head movement, all of that that comes into it the, and the punch selection and all of that that comes into it. The the footwork has got them in front of each other and they're exchanging and that's an even exchange for me. Um, and Kenshiro just didn't let that happen here. Like basically, there's one time in the fight, which I'm going to get into in a second, where, where he let that happen. Um, and apart from that, he just didn't let Kiyoguchi get him into that situation at all. It was his his footwork was fantastic. I mean, he's the thing with Kenshiro is he's always had a fantastic jab. His jab's brilliant, um, arguably the best in the sport, and that's always been true. But it's, it's kind of been the case till now that if you could get past a jab, this is what you know what I just said. You can exploit those little gaps, and till now it has been the case that you could get past a jab. That if you really dug your way, grit your teeth in, you could follow his jab in. Um, that's how. Um, that's how he was beaten in uh, last September um, by Yabuki. Um, he, uh, yeah, he just kind of got, you know, got in close and unloaded, and um, and Kenshiro's defense wasn't quite up to par when he got there. And you know, f- for all we know, that's still true. Like um, we just didn't really see um, see that happen at all. We didn't see um, Kiguchi get the chance to get that close at all because. Um, because the footwork was 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 on point, and it started. I mean, it started with the jab. The thing, the footwork was on point. It was in sync with the jab. Everything was flowing. Um, you know, that's really such an important thing, and you could see it. Um, I think Kishiro leveled up. Um, yeah, you could see it from the off. Um, Kikuchi couldn't get past the jab, and he couldn't just step with the jab and move in and follow up and work off Kishiro's jab because when he did, Kishiro was gone. His footwork wasn't fast enough. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, he couldn't get settled. He couldn't get settled, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a sign of um, it's just the thing I've talked about before. I talk about it quite often. Um, some fighters struggle to let their punches go when they aren't perfectly, you know, when everything isn't perfectly okay, you know, perfectly right and down, and all the measurements are right. It may may have been some of that because I feel like. Um, you know, it would have been a risk, but Kiyoguchi needed to, you know, not get off balance, but he just needed to close the distance in some, you know, cover his distance close in some way, um, get responses from Kenshiro that he could follow up on, you know, feints and things, um, and it just, he didn't really have it, he was just kind of marching, you know, he was throwing his jab, trying to get a bait, bait, um, bait response with the jab, but Kenshiro was winning the jab battle, and that, they, his team could have predicted that, um, I was talking with um, Taylor just after the fight, um, and um, what you know, what 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 his team got wrong, and you know they should have um, they should have been prepared for for, for needing some some amount of footwork and uh, coralling the ring and all of that. Um, I mean they should have prepared him as best they could. He should have been better than he was, but um, but I can't blame them for being surprised at just how good Kenshiro was at the footwork part, but they should have known about the jab. They should have known about the jab because Kinshiro's jab's always been fantastic and you can't be him if you need your jab to be the dominant one. And, you know, my my thought was uh, that he could, you know, pepper him the jab, lose the jab battle, but still get inside. But he couldn't. He didn't, just didn't get the responses he needed. And, uh, yeah, for the first three rounds or so, it was pretty much just a case of... Um, of Kenshiro jabbing and lighting him up, and he, you know he did occasionally get hit to the body. Like Kenshiro, um, was doing some things, um, 
But yeah, he was um, he just did a fantastic job of jabbing and stepping off and jabbing and angling out. And when he came in for an attack for a for a combination or to get his backhand into play, um, it came always came from a slightly different angle. And he did a really good job of getting it round the back of Kikuchi's card as well. Um, he was catching him so. I mean, firstly, that was what, that was another thing I want to talk about. I'm a bit rambly now, but um, yeah, um, <coughs> Kikuchi. I think what one of the things he was trying to do was catch and counter. Um, instead of baiting shots with feints, I think he was trying to catch things on the guard and counter them. And firstly, he was never quite close enough to make that work um, because of that fantastic footwork. But the second thing was. Um, his guard wasn't quite right, and I quite you know I rate his guard I think um, to an hour. Um, I think he's pretty good at it. But um, Kinshiro was firstly able to split it pretty much at will with a jab, and that was a you know that is a th- that is a thing. You know there are other parts of the preparation where I'm coming up. Yeah, you know yes he could be a better fighter, but um, but I can't blame them for missing this or that. But um, but they were really underprepared for for Kenshiro's jab and. Um, And the other thing was when the, when Kinshiro's punches, especially his right hand, was coming around to catch the left side of um, of Kiyoguchi, often they came around the back of the guard. But even when they didn't, even when he caught it on the guard, it was hard enough to snappy enough and sort of just disruptive enough that Kiyoguchi was out of position and not ready to throw. And I think that also maybe goes to my, you know, he needed the, he needs the perfection, um, and he wasn't quite set to throw. And and so the catching counter didn't work because he was being pushed out of pushed and drawn out of rain out of position by these um by these shots and um and it wasn't working for him and yeah he got I mean it was just a it was a one sided drubbing and then in the fifth round the fifth round is uh, the fifth round was amazing the fourth round was a dominant dominant round by um, Kenshiro. Um, for the fifth round, it started looking like even more of a dominant round. He dropped him early on with the with the right hand. It was basically like jab, jab, slide, slide, sliding back slightly, and then step in with the right and slap him on his ass. Um, and after that, uh, he he did kind of lose his head a little bit, and he went ham hard as a motherfucker chasing the knockout for the rest of the round. This was like thirty seconds into the round, and he went really hard, um, thinking he was going to get Kiyoguchi out there immediately and Kiguchi you know to his credit in this that instance Kiguchi kept his head kept his guard up um that was when you did see the upside of his game um you know even though he was getting the shit beaten out of him I mean you, you saw him keep his cool you saw him uh defend everything basically that he needed to defend and managed to get his head back and uh, uh Kenshiro was um yeah, he gassed himself out for that round. Um, he just went mental trying to get the finish. Um, didn't really think about what he was doing. And at the end of the round, um, if it had been 30 seconds longer, Kiyoguchi might have won because Kenshiro really did, uh, you know, he dropped, uh, he almost dropped a clanger. That was one blot on his performance, but he kept it together as well and um, defended himself through to the bill and got back to the... Back to the... Um, the corner, and I mean that round was round of the year contender for sure. It was back and forth and all of that stuff, and just non-stop, non-stop action. I would love, love, you know, I'm, I'm sure the punch stats will be out there. Um, it will be one of the highest volume things of the year. Um, and yeah, and after that, Kenshiro got shit together, calmed down. Um, round six, he pretty much just jabbed and moved, jabbed and moved. Um, got his uh, got himself back into into working condition, as it were. And then round seven, um, 
yeah, pretty much the same thing. He uh, he was jabbing and boxing, and then the knockdown was the knockout was more of the same. He um, jab jab, step forward in the right with the right, and uh, Kikuchi just reacted really badly. Um, he fell into the ropes. Um, the referee caught him and stopped. You know, he stopped the fight. He, he they were in the middle of the they were in the middle of the ring, and uh, Kikuchi caught a right hand from. Kenshiro, and he just kind of wobbled all the way to the ropes and nearly fell through them. So it was, you know, yeah, he didn't go down, down, but the ref- the ropes caught him and the referee was like, yeah, you're, you're not fit to continue. That's quite right. He was getting a shit kicking by that point. Um, he'd already been wobbled earlier in the round. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic performance. And this is the thing, like my prediction, my prediction was that basically that Kenshiro was going to get himself drawn out of shape and lent onto shots by, by Kiyoguchi. And it was the other way around. Um, you know, try as he might, he couldn't keep his perfect form. And when he did overbalance, he got walked into things. But um, but even as he did, even as he kept his, you know, he wasn't out of shape for either of the knockdowns. He wasn't leaning over too far. There were other moments when he was hurt when he was. But for either the knockdown or the knockout, he was, you know, you can't say he was perfect because he got a knockdown. But he wasn't egregiously out of shape or anything. It was just that he was trying to close the distance. Kenshiro baited him in with um a little jab in the move and then he slammed that door in his face and broke his nose with it uh, yeah it was just it's such a good performance if you haven't seen it um, if you're not in America it'll be probably be on zone for you um, if you are in America it's on ESPN Plus um, but you know wherever you are I'm sure you can find it um, yeah just fantastic performance fantastic performance I would put up there I'd say there are three performances um, that are now on the board for performance of the year which is um Dimitri Bivol versus Canelo, obviously. Um, then Bam Rodriguez beating Thrissicets or Rungfside the way he did. And this. Um, because, you know, to be to be frankly honest, um, out of the three, um, you know, Bivol... I'm not saying which one's the best out of the three, but out of the three, Bivol was clearly the bigger man. And yeah, that had the surprise on its side of um, Canelo was supposed to be the, the best the best guy at boxing in the world and uh, Bivol really scored him. Um, so that's up there for that. Um... Sarusikets or Rungvasai is obviously a lot bigger than Bam and he's incredibly good at many things um, many things that Bam diffused with the timing and stuff but there are slight question marks maybe he's just a bit too old there's none of those question marks here like maybe you can question mark how good Kiyoguchi was in the first place but I think that would be harsh um, you know yeah, clearly exposed certain things he does wrong and wasn't quite complete with but um, this was just Kenshiro coming in as an equal and uh, completely dominating the fight it was you know, completely staking his claim as the number one fighter in the division without question. Um, and yeah, um, in case you're wondering why I call him, uh, why I refer to him as by Tim by his first name, um, it's because that's his, that's because it's his ring name, and I'm sure that comes from the uh, the anime manga Fist of the North Star, which I know nothing about, but it cannot be a coincidence that he goes by his first name when he shares the name with the uh, the protagonist of a you know pretty big thing um, so, so that's why um, yeah he's Kenshiro um, he goes by Kenshiro which is a bit weird but yeah which <laughs> shows it really weird when Wikipedia and other um, you know other media sources today they were referring to him as Taraji but um, there have been times when he's been referred to as Shiro which just sounds odd um, no he's Kenshiro um, yeah and yeah, his his fake disclaimer is dominant in the division. He may want to move up to um, to flyweight soon, but um, I'm sure you know there are fights here for him. He's not that big at the weight. He he was bigger than Kiyoguchi sort of you know, in the ring, but um, 
but he's not he's not that huge at the weight that he's going to be biting at the bit to move up but at the same time you know there will be more international money fights there but I think there are probably a few more domestic fights for him and a couple of good international fights here as well so you know that's a future for him yeah just a really good performance the other things I want to talk about I'm not going to spend too long on Jonathan Gonzalez versus Okachiwa um, Iwata but uh, you know I'll talk about it some because it was a it was a good that was a good technical back and forth it's not going to set the world alight for action but it wasn't as bad as I saw some people were really complaining about Gonzalez during and after the fight uh, you know it wasn't as bad as all of that um, you know and it was an entertaining technical back and forth um, in which um, Iwata was a uh, young challenger um, I'm not sure how old he is but he is a uh, nine and over coming in um you know so it was a really early title shot for him against a really experienced and solid guy um that maybe they thought they could big man because he was um Iwata was a lot bigger and uh you know just bullied through and early on it looked like he might be able to because there were a couple of clashes of heads and a couple of other things that um that Gonzalez just really didn't look like he liked and he I mean he reacted really badly to the first clash of heads uh and I mean some of that was probably gamesmanship but he definitely would have felt it as well. Um, you know, he dropped and rolled and had a... Um, I'm not going to be as dismissive as uh, Belly. You know, Belly was like, I really don't know how to see that. I'm sure he felt it. But, um, but yeah, the first four rounds, I think as a fight, the first four rounds were quite equal. Um, Iwata did a good, really good job of closing Gonzalez's space down. But, um, but in the early rounds, he didn't especially in the first two rounds he didn't do such a good job of um actually throwing once he did um and his defense is basically not there and like he, he his defense is basically not not present so um so whenever gonzalez did throw anything it landed more or less clean um whereas that wasn't case, the case of vice versa but he did start to take over at the end of the second round and uh um after the head clash in the second round and then for a little while he he started to it must have started to look like he was taking over a bit and um but at the same time i think it was just gonzalez's body language was making that look more than it was because he just looked like he didn't want to be there um but he was still doing some effective work and then after the fourth round he started to get himself back um and firstly he pushed it back um he started jabbing just really hard to jabbing and pushing forward and um and ex- you know exchanging with him in a more even terms and then clinching up when he needed to and um backing off when he needed to um but really pushing him back a bit um which was a good you know it's a good test for of, of itawa because he's a sort of come forward boxer you don't um firstly you just want to see what he's like on the back foot but even if he's competent there coming forward is his game and pushing him back is going to tire him out more um so you know that was a good strategy and then he just did really good work um gonzalez at uh um, uh, yeah, at finding the right time to step in and to back off, and then you know there were times when the tower got, you know, I got got on on the front foot again and pushed him into the corners, but he never quite found found himself pinning Gonzalez in the way he had earlier on. And, and yeah, he still got his work off. It was a close fight. Um, I didn't score directly. I that my feeling was that um, by the end of it, Gonzalez had won reasonably comfortably. Like um, you know, I wouldn't have wilded it out. Um, like um, if Itawa had won I wouldn't have gone like that's a robbery but I would have been like you know they were favouring Itawa Iwata's work you know they were favouring his style of fight um, if they'd have given it to him um, yeah I think basically when they were in close um, 
Gonzalez was landing more of the work than you would have had to have given credit for to give Iwata that fight. So, um, so ultimately, I think the right guy won. And yeah, it's just a good. Uh, I mean, Iwata will go away and learn from that. Um, you know, in hindsight, it was probably was too soon for him. Um, but it, he lost in a way that will stand him in good centre for the future. He didn't get beaten up. He just lost uh, just a little bit of the head game, I think. Um, you know, a little bit of the technical battle. And there are things he can learn. I mean, the first thing he has to learn is um, just having your arms in the right place isn't defence. Because Gonzalez was just landing whenever he wanted. And I mean, Gonzalez was really open to the body. That was a thing that Iwata worked on, clearly. Um, landing shots to Gonzalez's body. Um, he has... Seems to have quite short arms, Gonzalez, quite short reach. And so when he had his guard up, he was really open downstairs. But um, with Iwata, it didn't really matter where his guard was. It looked nice. It looked like nice and tight and solid. But Gonzalez's punches were just finding its way, their way through it whenever he wanted to. So so he needs to work on that. And he needs to work on some head movement. Um, and yeah, he, I think he does need to work on more quickly letting the shots go when he does close the distance. Because his footwork's really nice. His footwork is... Uh, really good at closing thing off but um and the space off but then he didn't always throw when he did it and when he did um Gonzalez was able to slip out once the throwing started um fairly simply or clinch up and so he needs to find just the little details that um that allowed up into a really good boxer in the future but you know this is not a disaster for him um just a little bit too soon but but you know a good place to learn and uh you know Gonzalez moves on um, this was also a junior flyweight fight, so um, so he technically could fight um, Kinshira now. I'm not sure he'll want to. Um, the other option is um, is Nonchinga, who won that fantastic fight. Uh, probably my contender for actual fight of the year. It was a fantastic fight either way with um, with uh, Hector Flores um, in a when was it? August, September. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. It was third um, of September, I think. Um, in any case, that was a fantastic fight. Um, yeah, um, he's another option for you know the the times. If they're keen and willing and able to fight each other promotionally, um, it's a good division to be in. Kishiro is clearly the uh, the sort of the upper level now. Like that performance just makes him clearly the best guy in the division. But um, but you know he's not. <laughs> The other guys will want to fight him, I would hope. Um, I, you know, I hope they do. There's good fights to make there. Um, and it's a pretty deep division. So, um, you know, even uh, even the losers here, even, you know, um, Kiguchi losing has still has fights for him. Um, you know, plenty of fights, basically, uh, going on. So, yeah, it's just a really good division. Um, the other fight I want to talk about, just briefly, um, was Hunter Nakatani. One of my favourite boxers, um, young boxers, as we know, um, was making the step up to Superfly, and he didn't make, he didn't pick an easier opponent at all. He fought um, Francisco Rodriguez, who is a, you know, he's a Mexican fella, um, and he kind of embodies the mythical, really, but, um, but sometimes you see someone like it, a Mexican style. Um, I mean, he's got that whole thing of he just, he was just throwing himself forward, doing everything he can to win, throwing as many punches as he could, and he was really fucking dirty. He got one point deducted, which was unclear because the referee kind of, he went, he stopped the fight, he went low blow, low blow, low blow. He didn't say the point was deducted, but, um, 
one of the judges took the point off in the squad at the end, so I guess he did. Um, but yeah, he made it really difficult for Nakatani, um, just throwing himself at him. But um, but at the same time, by doing that, he was walking onto Nakatani's best weapons. Um, and yeah, the thing you know, the thing to talk about here, with, and so far as Nakatani is, um, you know, he will be wanting to face the top of the division fairly soon. But there are things he will have to fix, and. But they're not necessarily, I mean, there are some of the things that he did here were, would be a concern, but they're not going to come up because um, cause some of it was just that Francisco Rodriguez Jr. was, uh, he, Rodriguez was just closing the distance faster than Lakatani expected, and he was landing in the clinches without getting any real shots off early on, and Lakatani needed to sort of slide back a bit better. And firstly, he did as the fight went on, but secondly, that throwing himself forward also got his face all fucked up. The better opponents are going to find other things to target, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but they're not going to throw themselves at him as fast. So his jab is going to be more in play, and you know, his lead hand is always fantastic, and he's going to have more time to snipe, to find the timing, snipe back, set things up. So, you know, I don't think that's a concern, but when he is inside, when things do get inside, he does need to find more tools to work in there, either to get free or to actually work, because he was just holding and hoping the referee would do something. And um, Rodriguez wasn't actually that good inside. Like once he got there, he was just showing, and you know he did get the punch, some punches off. But um, but especially later on, Nakatani was winning most of the exchanges in there. Like he was doing, you know, Rodriguez would land a few shots, but he'd have to take four to land one. Um, so. Um, so in that respect, um, you know, Nakatani does okay, he's not incompetent, but I think he does need to, especially in the clinch itself, um, need to find ways to still let punches go. And yeah, when he's really sort of head-to-head in the pocket, he's not bad. Um, he's pretty good, actually, but uh, possibly he needs to work the body more in that situation. Just, yeah, find ways to safely disengage. And that last part is a, cl- is a clincher or non-clincher. It's a part that I am concerned about from him going forwards, because... Um, Rodriguez tagged him a lot with overhand rights. Because Nakatani, Nakatani's his half ball. And so, you know, I talk about a lot how good his lead hand is and all of that stuff. His backhand is very good at delivering punches, but he really got sloppy with his left hand um, defensively in this fight. And basically, on every entry and exit to an exchange, he was catchable and he was caught fairly often. And better fighters than Rodriguez will be targeting that, so that's something he really does need to work on. And he's quite a tall fella, so head movement, like slipping and ducking under things, isn't that easy for him in this division. Um, he does, you know, he likes to draw back and uh, make space for himself and slide back and catch you as you move, and that's great. But you do need to make sure you're safe. And you know, he wasn't in danger of getting knocked out, but you know, better opponents will be trying to walk him onto something with that, like, angle around and catch him really clean. So that's something to work on. But all in all, you know, he picked a tough test for for the introduction to the uh, to Superfly, and uh, and he looked pretty, you know, he looked good. He looked, uh, you know, there were some lovely combinations. His uppercuts were, you know, once he got them going, it took him a while to get them going, but once he got them going, his uppercuts were money. Um, again, it took him a while to get going, but once he got it going, the slide backs and just, Interceptions were, were, you know, just just really nice. Um, Nakatani, like, there's a reason he's one of my favourite fighters upcoming. Um, you know, he's a world champion now, or just vacated. But, uh, but yeah, um, 
It is a shame that him and Bam Rodriguez are missing each other because Bam, you may have seen, is moving down a division and Akitani is moving up. So they're sort of swapping divisions. It's a shame that they couldn't wait, you know, you know, a few months. But uh, both have good fights in their divisions. So in their new divisions. So um, yeah, and uh, Nakatani now has some time to acclimatize. Um, yeah. Um, okay, we're going to move on to Lomachenko now. Um, Vasily Lomachenko against Jermaine Ortiz. And that was another one where I was surprised, but not to the level as in today's fight. Um, because, you know, I assumed, and lots of people did, um, that Ortiz was going to be... That was basically a deliberately chosen rust, rust-shaking fight after after Lomachenko, you know, spent, what was it, 10, 11 months out... Um, Having been in Ukraine in in a um, you know involved in the, in the defense of Ukraine since February, and so he you know um, Usyk yeah Usyk came back to start to fight Joshua but Lomachenko even though he's younger um, has dealt with more injuries and uh, just general more you know physical wear and tear and roughness um, so it's not you know unexpected that there was a bit of a tune up happening. And Lomachenko himself said, no, what he's is good, this is a real fight, but he would say that, wouldn't he? It turns out he was right. Um, um, Lomachenko sparred with um, Ortiz before. He was his, one of his main training partners for um, the Comey fight. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, I'll put it this way. Ortiz's level surprised me, but I do kind of feel towards the end, you know, when, um, sometimes I like to break down my own analytics. The things that I saw... Ortiz doing wrong came out at the very end when he was really tired but until then he really polished up his game he came in with a fantastic game plan and fantastic polish to do the best that he could against what Lomachenko was going to bring to him it was just a really good performance um, and it was a really good adjustment and counter adjustment I did an article for you know I shouldn't advertise but um, <laughs> so I should uh, on bloody elbow I did a I did an article post fight about this so um, so if you want to read about it, um, it'll be there too. But I'm going to talk about it as well. Um, basically, um, Ortiz came in with a plan and a bunch of different responses to Loma's responses. And the first thing was um, to to keep the footwork solid. Um, my worry, my biggest worry in this fight coming in for Ortiz was that his footwork tended to get sloppy. He, he's a start switcher. But he tended to start switch just to kind of around him and be out of shape when he did it and be catchable and all of that, you know, stuff. In this fight, he opened the first, what, five, six rounds, not switching starts at all. It was an open starts matchup, um, Southpaw, Loma Southpaw versus Ortiz Orthodox. And, um, and he didn't, he just stayed solid in that. Um, and he was really fixed to turn with Lomachenko. When Lomachenko tried to come around him, he was really good at pivoting with him, turning with him, just keeping Lomachenko in front of him. And he came really good with a jab. Um, you know, and that, I thought, coming in, um, Ortiz has a good jab. Um, but he was really good at the jab. He was really keen to be first with the jab. Um, I've seen others mentioned on Twitter. Um, I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry. But, um, someone pointed out that... Uh, that Ortiz's trainer was shouting words, be first, be first. And, you know, um, I didn't catch that because, yeah, well, I didn't. But um, but you could see that was the plan. Um, always be first, but also always be last. And this was something where that uh, that was really notable because um, a lot of fighters don't want to take that risk against uh, 
like they're hesitant to throw against Loma because they think they're going to get countered. So they, so Loma becomes the expert at taking the first and last shot in the given exchange. And um, Tiafimo Lopez beat him by basically never letting him get in close enough uh, for the first seven rounds. Um, but um, but Ortiz's thing was different. It was that as they exited, he always tried to have the last word as well. Um, he always had the first word as they came in, and he always tried to have the last word. And that made it difficult for Loma to cleanly win any exchanges early on. And uh, and he did that fantastically well. And um, yeah, and you know Lomachenko's big thing is his back and forth movement in really close. Obviously that that's. Uh, that's a big thing, and I've seen people wondering, you know, why why didn't that really? Why didn't he do that? Is he aging? Is you know? And for me, it's not just just Ortiz did a really good job of stopping it because because he was always throwing something. Lomachenko couldn't coast around to um, Ortiz's left, his own Ortiz's right, his own left. Um, he couldn't go across, you know, sort of across the body of. Ortiz across where his backhand was because he was doing well to always fill that space with the punch. Um, so Lomachenko did the you know did the thing that he's supposed to do, and uh, started slipping under the jab and trying to come out um, to Ortiz's left to his own right. But Ortiz did a really good job of using his left hand to intercept and foul up that movement just to stop him going that way safely he'd throw little hooks and little sweeping shots just sometimes just leave his hand there um, and you know throw the jab upstairs downstairs very the height of the jab and the speed and but just really just change up the angles on it like that it wasn't just a jab it was little a little screwy jab or little hooks and things like that and just made Lomachenko really hesitant to go that way like he found it really difficult um, to get around safely so he didn't he had to stop him and figure something else out um and so, you know, Lomachenko kind of took a little look at it and, um, okay, the angles are, both both sides are difficult for me to get to. How about straight down the middle? And um, and that worked because, uh, you know, he'd had to, he kind of had to take a little half step um, inside um, to get Ortiz's jab off line. But then he, um, he kind of realised, yeah, um, if I come straight down the middle, he's focusing so much on the angles almost that... Uh, He's not leaving himself protected, and that yeah, his jab is really tough for me to deal with. Um, but as long as Nomo stayed, you know, when he came around the side, he had a backhand waiting. But that, perhaps maybe it was so physically so ingrained in Ortiz to have the backhand waiting that he didn't throw it when Loma just came, or he wasn't as ready to throw it when Loma didn't come around the side. Um, so so Loma was able to pretty well um, tag. Firstly, just jab over the jab, just jab in behind the jab, and then secondly, just run in and tag him with uh, with hard running lifts. Um, and Ortiz, you know, is towards the middle rounds. Ortiz kind of um, started to struggle with that and started to have to back off and um, and ease back. And he made an adjustment to that. Um, the adjustment was really simple: go south ball. Match up, match Lomachenko goes out ball. Um, you know, Lomachenko had to take a little think about that. He had to back off because um, Lomachenko was starting to raise the pace, as, Lomach- as Loma does. He was starting to raise the pace, push the tempo. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and um, he had to just stop and think about it for a second. And Ortiz, he didn't stick with the, um, with the, um, southpaw stance. He pretty quickly started to vary up. He, you know, he finished a round in southpaw, came out the next round in southpaw. But then after that, he started to switch. 
And, you know, that was a risk because it's a tricky thing to do, switching, and it's something he's done badly before. Um, he did it pretty well here, but it, it did kind of start to become his undoing as he got more tired, in my opinion. Um, but it did what it did do um, is uh, prevent Mochenko from getting a really good, solid look at the southpaw stance in the same way that he'd seen the orthodox stance and really get a read on what's going on. Because every time he did think he was starting to get a read on the timing of the southpaw, Ortiz would switch back to orthodox and he'd have to start again. So it's probably not a bad decision on a pure tactical, technical level. Um, and, you know, Lomachenko just kind of um, started giving it, um, you know, there wasn't any broad strokes adjustments to make, but he just started giving it little tries of little different timings. And he also started to get back to the well of moving around. And I would say that this is where I think Ortiz was starting to tire, because initially the switching worked. Um, um, and also Lomachenko was, was starting to up the volume, really push, trying to push the volume. And it is fair to say, and this is something that I was really impressed with, um, Lomachenko has not faced someone, I would say, who can face, who could really challenge him head to head in the battle of exchanges for volume and speed. Um, like, you know, um, Gary Russell Jr. probably did have faster hands, but he's not that kind of fighter and he couldn't get his speed going anyway because he didn't have the timing. Um, Linares did kind of catch, uh, you know, he, he has really good hands and he, he did kind of compete with them on that level, but Ortiz was really good. Like when they got into long exchanges on the inside, um, Ortiz would end up winning those exchanges, which like never happens to Lomachenko. Um, but Ortiz has just got such good hand speed um, that he found it really tough. And so he'd have to, he had to start finding those angles. And he did eventually. And I think that's the thing. Um, Ortiz had never been 12 rounds before. Like this was a hell of a step up for him, even though, you know, he did, he had fought um, Jamel Herring to sort of get himself to position for this fight. That was a 10 rounder. He'd never fought a 12 rounder before. Um, so, so the last few rounds were, you know, probably just even apart from his actual gas tank, he didn't know exactly how much he needed to leave in the tank. And maybe he did push it, you know, a little bit too hard early on. Um, and Lomachenko just started getting around the sides of him. And uh, and that was when you did start to see the errors start to creep in. Well, exactly, this is why I feel a bit justified in my analysis, because that is exactly when the errors that I thought I was seeing did start to rear their heads. And Lomachenko did catch him pretty solid by going one way and then the other. Um, and his feet would get all square, or his feet would get all square, and then he'd catch him solid, you know, stiff and straight up. Um, and then, you know, and then Ortiz, to his credit, he responded to that by pushing in more, becoming more aggressive and throwing more volume. And like, he never let the fact that he was tiring discourage him. But, um, and he, you know, he, again, he changed tactics and he tried to work even harder and not let Lomachenko spin those... Uh, Swing those little angles and um, not let himself be turned. Um, but he did exactly what I worried about, but much, much, much less than I thought he was going to. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm slagging him off uh, much less than I thought he was going to. Um, he did start to come too heavy over the front foot and Lomachenko started to get any uppercuts in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's such credit to him that he didn't do that to the start of the fight, but, um, but it is that thing. If you're learning a new skill or polishing up your you know, new new things in your game, 
the old bad habits will start to come out when you're really fucking tired. You see it time and again, and this was a prime example. He'd worked so hard at polishing those things out of his game, but he just got tired enough that he couldn't keep it straight 100% of the way. And that is probably what ultimately cost him the fight. Um, I can't blame him. Like, he couldn't not fight Lomachenko now. You know, the opportunity came on the table. It would be madness not to take it. And he did fantastically to work on it but it's just it's just what happens you know and he's going to go away and his stock has risen massively um, I hope he doesn't just get fed to Shakur Stevenson but he might um, I think he'll give Stevenson a better fight than Stevenson thinks but ultimately still you know I don't think he's going to beat um, Shakur Stevenson but you know I, I hope whatever happens with him in the next couple of you know the next year or so uh, he, he is young enough I think he's what 26 um, he's got a future in this division and um, Lomachenko is just just wants Haney and they faced off in the room afterwards and uh, spoke about it and both of them agreed that Lomachenko will have to be better to beat Haney um, whether he's capable of that we don't know but um, you know I would think so um, I would think he has to be um, better with a few more you know a bit more preparation um, but he will have to be because Haney is fucking huge next to him you know they were joking about that as well like um yeah, it was a big size difference. Um, yeah, on a technical level, Lomachenko is the right fighter to exploit the mistakes that I still think Haney makes. But um, but when you combine that with Haney's speed and size, um, it'll be difficult for Lomachenko. Um, you know, this is probably the last point where it's a viable fight. So um, I hope it happens soon. Um, but it's a good fight. Uh, you know, at this point, it's a it's a very good fight. Uh, more more so than it would have been when Lomachenko was fresher, but. You know, that happened in boxing. Yeah, it's just a good fight and I hope it happens and I'm going to talk about the next thing now because uh, that's all I've got to say. Um, I mean, I could talk about Lomachenko for, for ages more, but uh, now I'm going to move on to just a couple of the prospects on the card. Um, there is a lot, um, but uh, I'm just going to skim over um, Richard Torres Jr. because he's like he's going to get a lot of notice because he's a heavyweight. Um He's a small heavyweight, but a sort of tough, sturdy one with a lot of high volume, high press. He says he uh, he learns from Usyk and Loma, um, and you can kind of see what he's trying to do, but he didn't have the footwork for that. Um, yeah, he's just kind of rough and ready. It's decent, but not great head movement. Uh, like I say, I think he overbalances a bit too much um, over his front foot. Um, he just excels at making it really rough and messy for his opponents, but then also delivering really hard shots, because sometimes these fighters who, um, who really rough you up and push you about and they don't generate their own power he's really good at generating his power um, so he will make it difficult can he win a belt you know he's not going to be either Usyk or Fury but those guys are going to be retired before he reaches world level and it depends how the belts break like as far as rising prospects go I think Jared Anderson and Justice Hooney are better but um, you know maybe not better enough that I would be 100% confident in them beating him um but basically anyone else, yeah, you know, I don't know quite how good he's going to be, but, um, but, you know, I think he's in a shot with the kind of guys who will be fighting for the world titles once Usyk and uh, and Fury split. Um, and he may prove better than I think he's going to, because he seems like a you know smart lad in terms of picking out things that he wants to learn and boxes that he wants to learn from. And I don't, I'm not saying that just because he name-checked Usyk, um, you know, I think he's picking the right... Like he picks and chooses things that he needs to learn and is trying to integrate them into the game that he's already got. Um, and if he can do that the right way, he may well prove better than I 
currently think that his ceiling is. So it'll be interesting to see him develop. Um, yeah, the other fighters on the card. Um, there's a big disappointment with Duke Reagan, who is a uh, Duke Reagan, I think. Duke Reagan, I think they called him. Um, who is at um, oh, what division of the end? He's not a big guy. Um, he is a featherweight, I believe. Yeah, he's a featherweight, and he is. He had been at, until this point regarded as something of a prospect. You know, a former Olympian. I think he won a silver. Silver could be wrong. Um, but he's you know something of a prospect of featherweight, except that now he probably isn't because um, he was fighting um, Louis LeBron. LeBron's got this sort of young of it thing. Um, Starting to see, I don't know. I feel like you start to see it a bit more in American boxing now. He's Puerto Rican, but um, you know American boxing. Um, we well, see this fighter with a few losses on the records, but it doesn't say that they're bad boxers. Um, you know, standard in English on the English journeyman scene. But I think you're, you're starting to see a bit more of these sort of gatekeeper guys get their get their flowers. And LeBron isn't by no means a bad fighter, but um, but if Duke Reagan is supposed to be the fighter that uh, you know. That the hype wants him to be, he has to be beating uh, Lewis LeBron pretty comfortably, and instead he just kind of melted under the pressure. And you know, for my money, I think I, I didn't score, but um, directly, but I know that I get. I think it was the first two rounds, and definitely the last two rounds for for LeBron. So it was difficult for me to see a you know that it's an eight round fight, so it's difficult for me to see any more than maximum four rounds for Reagan. So, you know, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say it was a robbery because it wasn't like a complete beating, but um but he kinda of, he did melt under the pressure and you know it wasn't a good performance. Um, you know, at this point there's an English prospect called Nick Ball. I've talked about him before. The little fella, he's five foot two. I would like to see him fight Duke Craigan as a prospect fight, but I'm kinda of just being a little bit spiteful because, you know, um I just kind of annoyed at the way Reagan Apparently he's had this problem before and he didn't fix it and then he got the robbery on the car. So I'm just a little bit annoyed. Um, yeah, Nick Forward boxed his head off at this point is the point I'm making. Um, he isn't the prospect that they thought he was and whether he's going to be depends on him. He just looked like he didn't want to be there under pressure. And he has to fix that because you can't be a professional boxer and melt like that under... You know, it was a lot of pressure but it wasn't particularly skilled. So um, so he's got a lot to fix there. Um other guys on the card to talk about. Um, let's talk about um, Troy Isley. He looked decent. Um, he's a solid prospect going forward um, at a um, at middleweight. Um, you know, it's not a super deep division at the moment. He fought Quincy Lavalle, who is again one of these young vets. Um, he has lost before four times, but um, he, he lost to Xander Zayas. Um, in March, and then um, there was a bit of talk going in. Um, you know, Isley comparing himself directly to Zayas, who is this sort of a upcoming. Xander Zayas is going to be a superstar, I think. You know, he, he may well become derailed. It's too early to say for sure, for sure. But he looks really good. And Troy Isley was sort of directly, you know, oh yeah, I have to look good compared to Zayas stepping forward, and uh, he didn't look as good as Zayas. Um, but um, but he does look solid. He looks um, the thing with him is technically he's really solid. Like he's got solid. He doesn't make any serious errors technically. He doesn't get out of shape. He has a really good jab. He moves smoothly. He throws good combinations. All of that. Um, the problem for me that he had in this fight 
which apparently he's had before in the amateurs. I'm not super familiar with him. Um, apparently he's had before is that um, he is suited technically to be a pressure visor, and that is kind of that is what he's trying to do: to be a come forward, jab, jab, come in behind the jab, really solid. He delivers really solid shots with everyone. He's heavy-handed. Um, but when Lavalet started throwing back and pushing forward, he kind of stepped off and let him do his thing. And he let Lavalet throw with volume. He wasn't making the right decisions about when to do what. He needed to do things on his own terms, and he was doing them on Lavalet's. And in this, you know, yeah, middleweight isn't the strongest division in the world, but as you get to world level, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be um, tricky for him, um, and you know, especially since uh, you know Sanders Ayas is a weight down, so um, so he had a size advantage over um, Lavalet that uh, Zayas didn't. Um, you know, so if he's making that direct comparison, you know, compared to yeah the other top prospects, he has to make the right decisions at the right times. But it, he is young; he's twenty four. It's a learning fight. It's exactly kind of thing. So he has to take the right lessons from it. He has to. Use his jab to maintain space, even when he's pushing forward. Just pick the right time to step in and push. He has to give the impression of being relentless without getting into the firefights whenever his opponent wants. Basically, um, yeah, just a little lesson. I'm not going to go super in depth on that. The other last guy I want to mention off the card is not Nico Ali Walsh. Um, you know, as much as he seems to be a likable kid and he's better than. Um, you might fear from you know the whole thing about the hype name or the hype of Arnie's grandson and yeah he's 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 not that interesting um, as a fighter um, I did just notice I missed the obvious one that I'm going to talk about here um, so I'm going to skip back um, Roberto Ramirez with the co-main and he fought um, Jose Matias Romero and it was kind of a weird fight because um, Ramirez is clearly the better fighter by quite a long way. He frustrated some people because he didn't. He was pushing forward, but not throwing all the damn time. And Tim Bradley was getting infuriated. Like, why isn't he doing more? And yeah, you could go. Okay, yeah, he should. He could have put him away sooner. He got him KO with an uh, KO in the ninth. Um, but it was you know, it was the shake in the ninth. Basically, he was beating the shit out of him in the eighth, and they got to the corner. And the referee, it was a weird moment where the referee was talking to the doctor. And it's like, yeah, you, you call him for a, call him and examine him, and then I'll stop it. But then they carried on and then stopped it immediately in the next round. Um, it was weird. It wasn't a fix or anything. It was just a weird way, you know. And maybe they forgot the mic up and it sounded off. But um, in any case, um, yeah, Ramirez was pushing. He's doing what Ramirez does, which was pushing forward and uh, being a bit disrespectful. And uh, Tim Brandy kept going, oh, he's doing the same thing over and over again. He's you know dropping down low and then coming in with these hard shots and uh, but single hard shots with a single power. And firstly, that wasn't quite true. Um, he you know he was throwing combinations more often than Bradley was giving him credit for. Bradley and Ward, but um, but also it wasn't the same thing over and over in terms of you know the timing and the angles on it were different. Uh, you know, there is a difference between throwing the exact same shot at the exact same pace and throwing the same shot in slightly different variations. Um, but the thing that they fail to talk about, and that is really impressive about Robesa Ramirez, is his defensive position, rather, you know, his offensive positioning, keeping it defensively. And he did this against Abraham Nobre in his last fight, and he did it here, is that he can be standing right in front of his opponent, and it's still really, and he doesn't seem like, he's not a guy who, dances in front of his opponent or really slips and he does have his hands up as a high guard uh, but he doesn't you know it's not like 
super focused on that guard. Um, but he's just really damn hard to hit. Like they'll throw him and just everything will go glancing past him, off his shoulders, off his gloves. Just glancing past him will get caught on the gloves. It's uh, his defensive positioning is really good and his timing is fantastic. Um, you know he's a featherweight. Um, I think at this point he probably beats everyone in the division. Um, you know there are good fighters in there. I think Navarrete is moving up. Um, that was discussed. Um, on the card, uh, so um, so yeah, they announced it basically in the broadcast. It's not official, but they announced that it was in talks. Now Rote is moving up to fight. Um, fuck's sake, I should know this. Oscar Valdez, and I'm doubtful about Rote's suitability for moving up to super featherweight. Um, but that's a good fight. Um, I'm not going to talk about it now. Um, but that leaves the belt that Navarrete holds open, and apparently the talk is that. Um, that um, Ramirez will fight Isaac Dogbe for the vacant belt. And that's a really good fight, which I do think uh, Ramirez should have win fairly comfortably. Um, but yeah, um, I would basically put, uh, I would say I'd put money, I don't bet, I don't gamble, so I'm not going to talk about placing money. But um, but my, I would think that uh, Rebeza Ramirez would beat, uh, you know, everyone in that division. There are a lot of good fighters in that division. You've got Gary, 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 Russell Jr., Gary Russell Jr., um, who did just lose to Mark Maxayo, so maybe he's not that good. But um, uh, yeah, you've got Maxayo himself, obviously. Um, you've got uh, you've got Ray Vargas. You've got uh, Marisha Lara. You've got um, Josh Warrington, Lee Wood. Um, you know, a lot of good fighters in the division. Um, but I would put Ramirez, even though he hasn't quite been up at that level as a pro yet. I'll probably make him favourite in all of them, and I really hope he. You know, whether it's Dog Bay or someone else, um, I hope he gets the guitar picture next year um, because he needs to be there. Like, um, no fucking about, he needs to be there pretty soon. Um, he's only twenty-eight. Like, he's not he's not an old man or anything, but um, he can't fuck around either. Um, anyway, okay. So we talked about that fight. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently it wasn't that exciting because um, I forgot to talk about it. But um, but it was a good fight, and he's a really good fighter. He sort of um, yeah, I just really enjoy watching that him standing in the pocket and things slide off him. Um, you know, his opponents and I, I really want to see how more technical punches and Doc Bay don't you know don't get it twisted Doc Bay look, can look kind of crude but he's a solid you know he's not just a wild puncher he, he's setting his shots up uh, you know Navarrete defused him by just beating him up before he got there um, and uh, it may well be that uh, Rodriguez can do the same but that that would be a good fight and I want to see it um yeah, now the last guy that I want to talk about on this card, as a pro- as far as prospects go, was um, there was a kid who fought. Um, he's what eighteen? Um, Abdullah Mason, who fought Angel Barrera and Angel Barrera, I'm not quite sure. He's four 0 He's eighteen years old. Four um, no. Um, so he's a long way off, you know, off the top. Like out of all the prospects, he's probably got the longest journey ahead of him. But he just looked really together, like really good. Um, I said this last one. No, I want to talk about Tojots as well. But no, Abdullah Mason, he just looked really solid um, in every aspect of the game. And he's only 18. And like, you know, when they were in exchanges in the pocket, he looked really defensively sound. And when they were at range, he had a good jab. His movement was really good. And then he started throwing combinations and it was really, you know, really tidy. Um, you know, I'm not going to do the big technical breakdown. I'll do that when he gets into more, you know, out and out um, testing fights. But um, I mean, this, this is the thing about this card. Um, Top rank 
and I don't, I don't think they always did this, but they've made a, one thing they've been really good at is matching their prospects well recently. Like they're really good at, um, they've become really good at matching their prospects. And if I say should win, you know, um, Duke Reagan did his best to do, disprove that, but um, but that will test them. And that sometimes they just throw two prospects together and go go for it. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a really good performance. And look out for him. And then the other guy, um, I mean, the right, there was also Hayden Brady. Um, he was fine. Um, I really can't remember super much about the performance. He's an lightweight prospect. Um, he is uh, twenty, so he's also you know he's got a long way to go as well. Um, it feels a little bit unfair to be. Uh, for him to be the only one I don't talk about, but I just don't really remember his fight anymore. So it, firstly, it was, you know, I didn't get this myself sort my sleep pattern out properly, so uh, so I don't remember. But it was also probably just the least, you know, he did fine, he did well, um, and you know, but it was just, and I, I, I remember the things when he going that he does that well, and yeah, he needs to work on that, but I just don't remember what they are. Um, but the other guy I do want to talk about is Tiger Johnson, um, Delante Johnson. Um, He's the guy out of all the prospects. When I looked, and I just did a quick look on uh, on YouTube down the prospects when I was uh, previewing the card. Um, he was the one that kind of caught my eye, and yeah, pretty much did what he had done before. Um, he's a tall guy. Um, he stands quite upright, and I don't like that's the stance that he uses. But he uses it as long as he's in open space. He uses it really well. Um, he boxes really well on the back foot, dropping back and then throwing really hard shots while on the back foot really hard combinations um, really hard and accurate he's really good at that there was one moment where he showed the problem of his stance where his opponent um, pushed him to the ropes um, it was uh, Esteban, Esteban Garcia um, pushed him to the ropes and then he had nowhere to go and he depends so hard on sliding back that when he was on the ropes in the corner um, he had nowhere to go and he got caught so he needs to there are things to tidy up but he's just really the, the way the timing of his shots um, you know he's on the back foot and then his opponent will throw and he'll throw in between the, his opponent's shots or in between his opponent's movements just walking Garcia onto onto the shots it was, it's a really cool performance like again I'm not going to go super into depth in it but Delante Johnson is one that I would recommend looking out for in future um, that's that for that card um, the other two cards I'm not going to talk about super in depth I'm going to switch the order here because I want to talk about um I'd like to finish on a high note, and um, it's not a low note to talk, to talk about KG Taylor um, versus um, Karen Cabrahal, but it was just one of those fights. It was fine. It was a Cabrahal was worse, uh, you know, um, better than you may have feared, but never good enough to threaten KG Taylor with a good time. <laughs> she was never, she was never good enough to to really make Katie Taylor work really hard. Like she had to do her thing. Um, but yeah, it was just, and again, it was one of those, um, more or less what I said um, in the build up. As long as I kept it at range, Carabajal was uh, in it. But Katie Taylor is a really good range fighter, uh, fighter, so she wasn't dominating. When it came in close, Carabajal is really messy and she didn't have the tools to compete there. And that's That was just pretty much the story of the fight. Um, not too much to say, but I did want to mention it because, you know, Katie Taylor, I like Katie Taylor, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, no, she needs, um, she needs, compared to the women's fight we've had, um, there, there will be tougher tests. There was also another women's fight on uh, on the Cepeda card, and I just didn't have had the chance to catch up on it uh, yet. Uh, but it was, by all accounts, a pretty good fight. 
um, Leona Udicha fought um, Aureli Machino. Um, Udicha is an Argentine, and I think Machino is Mexican. Um, yeah, she fought her for her IBF belt, I believe it was. Um, yeah, it's an IBF World Flyweight um, title fight. And uh, yeah, Machino won. I don't know the story of the fight, um, but I picked up along the way that it was a good fight, um, and I will catch up on it. I'm not going to end up talking about it on the podcast, like, but uh, but if you're interested, it may be worth looking up. Um, if you're looking up the main event of that card, which you should, because um, that was unexpected. Um, JJ Diaz versus William Cepeda. Um, thing about Diaz is he's not and never has been, you know, threatening pound for pound lists. Um, he's he's not a fantastic boxer, and he he is a little bit. Of, He's a little bit, a bit above where he should be in a way, but at the same time, it wasn't. Um, and you know, he apparently uh, they agreed to fight at basically a catch weight above one three five because uh, because Jojo Diaz wasn't going to make it. Um, but uh, but he's solid at the weight. Like he, um, you know, he's been there before. Uh, uh, you know, he didn't get. Uh, he he lost pretty obviously to Devin Haney. Um, but he didn't get fucked up, uh, and he, you know he's fought a few fights there. He's been there for you know, a year and a half now. He's he's climbing to the weight, so it wasn't just that Cepeda was the bigger guy, but it looked like it. Um, yeah, and yeah, like I said, Jojo Diaz. He's been in with them in Haney, and he lost clearly, but he didn't get he didn't get embarrassed, and he didn't get completely beaten up. And in this fight, he just got beaten up for twelve rounds. That's Cepeda. He just didn't get. A, looking at all um he couldn't match the paid volume and i was surprised by that because um well, i wasn't surprised about the volume because that's always the paid his way but the paid so far this year his uh, first fight this year was back in i think it was february when he fought a complete journeyman by the name of Luis viedas who um it was such a sloppy performance it was embarrassing and he, frankly he should have lost by disqualification because he hit him on the ground i think it was not twice um but he won, uh, you know, knockout in the third, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was an embarrassing fight, and the whole thing was embarrassing because it was water all over the canvas. And, uh, anyway, he came back. He looked much improved in this fight with Rene Alvarado, but it was a furious war with, you know, with Rene Alvarado. Alvarado's a fun fighter, but if you're having a, a toe-to-toe war with him, um, he isn't necessarily a guy who I then think, okay, if you're having a war with Rene Alvarado, you're ready for the top of... Um, 135. I mean, Joseph, Joseph, Jojo Diaz isn't in the top of 135, but he's, you know, he's a good gatekeeper over that level. Like he, he, he matches up with the top of 135 without embarrassing himself. And Cepeda just beat the shit out of him. Um, and it was, you know, just a really good attacking performance. Um, you know, Zapeda's defense isn't, uh, isn't his thing. Um, he's going to always have to tank shots, uh, to get there. Kind of a bit similar to, not in you know, not in the specifics. Um, he approaches his footwork is different. The his choice of movement is different, and his choice of punches is different. Um, but he's not too dissimilar to um, Sebastian Fedora in being a really high volume fighter, bit attritional. Um, I think Zapata probably leans into the shots a bit more. Um, but, uh, but he's also, you know, a bit of a tank. Um, just didn't feel any of Diaz's shots at all, um, basically. And uh, he's pretty creative with the way he sets up shots, and he uh, he uses the range really well. Um, in the sense that, um, I mean, he was a bigger man here, but uh, 
but um, I mean this in the sense that um, he's always um, he doesn't smother his shots not really at all um, this is where he's different from Fundora not that Fundora does smother his shots but Fundora is really good at generating power even when he's really close um, so Peda is really good at maintaining just the right distance so he can just really snap into his punches he's really good at that and he's really good at upstairs downstairs like snapping a shot up, up above the, bring the guard up and then just thudding a body shot in and he kind of like pistons the punches in like um you know i'm comparing the two now just as a sort of a you know what Zepeda is about um Fedora whips his shots um and like he kind of drives them around on the side um Zepeda kind of comes up the middle and just piston like like i said you know a whip versus a piston <laughs> i guess it's the way to to describe it as the uh, analogy i've settled on um yeah he just kind of really shoves them through but not like punches punching in with them um and you yeah, know it's a just a really cool performance from him um i'm not gonna uh i just don't have the time to sit down and break it down um you know, punch for punch strategy for strategy um so i'm not going to but it was just a it was a really fucking good performance of like just he was a he looked levels above um jojo diaz um and you know that the kind of that kind of performance you know i'm not going to say that because he beat what person haney did that he's going to beat Devin haney um but I sure think he'd beat George Camposos, and I would not necessarily have thought that before this fight. Um, so Zepeda definitely wanted to look out for, and he's only, I think he's 24, so he's only young, so he's still improving. Um, well, he's 26, so he's not that young, but I mean, he's still in the prime and just coming into that point where you would expect him to be fixing up all the little holes in his game, and maybe he'll, you know. Yeah, basically, Zepeda, William Zepeda, he is now in that place where I don't know if he's going to get a title challenge next year because. Um, because this division is fucking busy, but um, there are the fights there for him um, that aren't title fights that are still really interesting. I'd love to see him fight Isaac Cruz. That would be great. Um, I don't know if promotionally that works, um, but it'd be a cool last fight. But, you know, like I said, Cambosos. Um, if Cambosos is looking for a relatively, you know, so Pedro was in a showcase fight here. Um, Cambosos is looking for a relatively big name to try to beat. That, that you know, that would be good. Um, He's not on design Camposos, so whatever, but um you know, hopefully makeable. But yeah. That was that. Um I've been here for more than an hour. Um even skimming over some of the fights. Um yeah, it was just been a really good fight week. Uh next week, uh we're coming up to quite a time. The next month, November, the rest of November is not uh it's not the best um it's not the best month that we've had this year. Um, the uh, the main fight is um, Bivol versus Ramirez um, and yeah I'll have my bloody elbow coverage I'll have a preview for it on Pike site as well so um, look out for that and um, the other fight is um, a middleweight fight between Dave Morrell Jr. and Ados Um I don't I am not familiar at all with Yobesinuli um, so um, I'm told I read that he's skilled I would have to look him up for the previews. But, um, yeah, Morel is an exciting fighter who I... I have my questions about how good he really is, but he is fun and he throws really hard. If Yabesa Nudi is good, um, he's Kazakh. If he has those Kazakh skills, um, you know, that ability to maintain range, make his opponent sort of, you know, even... he can, If he's in a, that Janibek and latter stage Golovkin type of using his jab to make his opponent work really hard, um, he will give Moreau trouble. But I will preview that fight 
um, on the fight site and we'll see what I think before and then see how it goes. But yeah, um, be a busy week and uh, we'll see you next week. Um, before I go, obviously, um, the usual thing, follow us, follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter if you don't already. Follow the fight site at the fight site. Um, you can read my stuff on the fight site, my previews on the fight site, and as I say, I am also at Bloody Elbow now and do some stuff there. Um, and um, I'll be covering the Zerto fight live. Um, yeah, um, follow the fight site, join our Patreon. Um, if you have been following our appeal um, for our sort of editor in chief kind of thing, uh, two men, um, Iggy has, he's nearly there. Iggy is nearly there. He just needs a last little push to get his appeal over the line to get his, um, to get the finances sorted for, you know, what he needs to do to get himself to safety um, out of Russia, keep himself out of Russia and get himself to safety. So um, he's nearly there. Um, if you look on our page, search our page or search our Twitter feed, um, you'll find the appeals there. Um, there should be a link down below as well, but um, when I say down below, I mean it'll be in the comments, uh, it'll be in the blurb of this podcast and uh, below the Twitter post, possibly, hopefully. Anyway, formality's done. I'll see, I'll see you next time. Um, hopefully I'm not <laughs> sick on Saturday. I'm sorry. Real, real life getting away. Yeah, um, I'll see you next time.